72 hours. That's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Not the entire week, just 72 hours. And I'm going to start this Tuesday, this last Tuesday, at 6 p.m. on Clement Street. Cantor Addy and Cantor Luck, they were walking on Clement Street. And just as they turned by the laundromat on the corner of Fifth, a tall, slightly broad-shouldered man in a white, long-sleeved t-shirt, he pointed at Cantor Luck as he walked by him and he yelled loudly, Free Palestine! Now right away, when Cantor Luck realized that he was wearing a kippah, his heart sunk. But he and Marsha, they continued to walk. And as they turned around to walk back to find where they had parked, they intentionally, they went to the other side of the street. And the man who had yelled at them came out of the laundry bed and then just stared at them with a cold and emotionless stare as he tracked their every single movement from a distance. And this was the very first time that Cantor Luck had been singled out for being Jewish. The incident, it felt threatening. In Cantor Luck, he felt intimidated, nervous, and fearful for his safety. And of course, we know that the man did not know Cantor Luck's politics. The man didn't care. To him, Cantor Luck was not a him, he was a them. And this feeling of being viewed as a them and being threatened is unfortunately not historically new for us as Jews. For generations, we knew this reality. But for us as American Jews, this reality has been a reality that few of us have directly experienced, known, or even worried about. And when we have confronted anti-Semites, they have mostly been like the man in the long white sleeve t-shirt at the laundromat, who is ultimately powerless. 23 hours later, 5 p.m. I'd arrived in D.C. earlier than I'd expected. And I checked into my hotel room, I put on my suit, and I walked across town to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. And then I walked into the White House with my yarmulke on, Welcome in, welcomed by smiling Secret Service, military personnel welcoming me, and they were all welcoming me as a Jew wearing a kippah in the White House. I made my way up the stairs to the East Wing, where music was being played, and I stood in the front of the portraits of Kennedy and Washington and LBJ. And after seeing other Jews from across the United States, including Justice Breyer and Justice Ginsburg. The president then came in the room. Now, outside of his bad Jewish jokes, they were bad. He, he told us that he was the first president in 70,000 years to oversee Thanksgiving, where he lit the Minerki. He said this, he said, look, it's a menorah and a turkey. And he said that it was a White House tradition and that he was happy to carry it on and that it gave him, quote, nachas. The most powerful man in the world welcomed in the Jewish community and he used our language 
to connect with us. It's very different than being yelled at by a man at the laundromat. Obama, he took a pause, and then his tone shifted. And Obama, he reminded us that our founding president, George Washington, was said to be stirred by the lights of Hanukkah after seeing a soldier seek the warmth of the menorah in the snows of Valley Forge. And years later, Washington, he wrote a letter that was on display that night in the White House for all of us to see. In the letter, it was written to the Jewish community of Newport, Rhode Island. And Washington, he assured these Jews that, quote, the United States gives to bigotry no sanction, persecution no assistance. All that is required to those who live under the nation's protection is that they be good citizens, unquote. And the president continued to remind us that since the Jewish community has known oppression, we've been at the forefront of every fight for freedom. We marched in Selma, we mobilized after Stonewall. Synagogues, including this one, opened their doors to refugees. And that we have opposed all forms of racism. Now, if we zoom the camera back, it's not hard to recognize what this moment means for the Jewish people to be standing in the White House. To be told that you're not only a part of us, but you were here at the beginning with us. In the past, we couldn't have imagined being invited or being so accepted. We knew what it was like to be viewed as a them and to be threatened by people who were with authority. But to be embraced and to be part of the we and no longer feel like the other, historically, this is new for us. And the following night, Thursday night, yesterday, at 7.30 p.m., 48 hours later from Clement Street, the Warriors had Jewish Heritage Night, and they celebrated us. Thousands of Jews walked around Oracle Arena with hats with the Warriors logo and a Magen David. The JCHS, the Jewish Community High School basketball team, played on the court at halftime. Now, what Cantor Luck felt the night before, it was a deja vu. But it didn't used to be a guy in a white long sleeve t-shirt in a laundry mat. It was a man in a suit in a position of power. On Wednesday night, as the Jewish community stood with the warm embrace of the president, at the exact same moment, just a few blocks from the White House, Artsa, the Zionist arm of the reform movement, was protesting the Conference of Presidents of Major Jewish Organizations, Hanukkah Party, with the Embassy of Azerbaijan, because it was the Washington Trump Hotel. They put out a statement and they said that they were protesting it because, quote, because the president-elect has, elect has not explicitly condemned racism, anti-Semitism, misogyny, Islamophobia, and anti-ethnic bigotry that he himself stoked and tolerated in his campaign for the presidency, unquote. The moment where we are standing is significant. It's an incredible moment in time for us when we have this much access and influence and comfort 
to be celebrated by the most powerful man in the world and to simultaneously protest the man who was about to become the most powerful man in the world. With confidence, access, and power, we must be acutely aware if we're using it appropriately and not losing sight of what our purpose is. Because as all of this has gone on since Tuesday night on Clement Street, scores and scores of people in Aleppo are being killed. Some families are huddled inside their homes. They're recording videos and they're sending them into the sea of the internet like a person sticking a note into a bottle in a boat in an ocean in the midst of a storm as they stare their own final hours in the face. And they look into their children's eyes, knowing that the light, that twinkle in their eye, is about to be snuffed out. And while we've been so focused with our eyes on our nation, we seem to be forgetting that our job has always been to be a light to the nations. And that's nations with an S. It's plural. We cannot become an isolationist people who are only caring for their own immediate concerns. We're expected to look beyond our own walls and to push light into the rest of the world where it's dark. In eight days, on Hanukkah, we don't put the menorah on the inside of our house. We're not allowed to. We're actually supposed to press it up against the window because we know that our job is not just to shine light on ourselves, but to push that light out into the world. It was the Maccabees who over 2,000 years ago rebelled against oppression and injustice and were willing to use their power and their influence to make the world just and free. It was 200 years ago that George Washington, he wrote in that letter to the Jews of Newport, Rhode Island, that, quote, may the Father of all mercy scatter light and not darkness in our paths. As we stand at this moment of transition, we must keep perspective of where we stand in the arc of history and what our role has been and will be. Now, I'm not going to give a charge. I'm not going to tell you what to go and do because I think it's a time to stop, to pause, to pray, and to get our bearings. Because we're in a season of celebrating light. And we must not forget that Hanukkah means to rededicate. So may this be a season where we rededicate ourselves to shifting our gaze and our focus from a narrow one and an insular one to a gaze that is expansive and inclusive where we rededicate ourselves to using our power, our influence, and our confidence to truly be a light to the nations with an S. A light that is more illuminating and has greater effect than we ever thought was possible. A light that will be so radiant that when generations from now, when they look back at us, and when everyone's name in this room is forgotten, and all we're remembered are the Jews of the early 21st century, that when they think back on us, they'll think, Nesgadol Hayasham, a great miracle happened there.
Can you hear Ratzon?